So I have a question. What are you trying to get done that simply won't get done? Because you just keep running into problem after problem after problem, difficulty after difficulty, and you hit pothole after pothole. What are you trying to do that just won't get done? I mean, do you ever wonder sometimes why do things just seem to fall apart so easily? And sometimes it happens simply because we're in a fallen world. And sometimes it happens because, as the Bible says, we're wrestling against powers and principalities and rulers and spiritual authorities in the dark places. We have spiritual opposition. We're in spiritual warfare. And the enemy wants to bring down what we're trying to build up. So sometimes it's a fallen world. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. But other times, opposition comes because we are experiencing God's resistance to our projects. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, we see kind of a sad story of a people that are trying to build a city apart from the plan and the purpose of God. And eventually, God came in and stopped it. And the lesson for us is if we try to build by our own strength, we can count on the fact that God will stand in opposition to it. And it may take some time, but eventually, either in this life or in the next life, what we're trying to build will come tumbling down. And you know what? That ought to scare us. But it ought to scare us in a good way. So open your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. As we continue our series, before we get started on that, I just wanted to mention, you know, we've got a group of people that are on a bike ride, and they're trying to raise money to support children in an orphanage in Uganda. It's called Ride Amagara. And so that team from our church, they're riding their bikes all the way from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C., and they're trying to raise a bunch of money to support kids in an orphanage. And while they are on the way, they're going to be our missionaries. So Father, I pray that you would encourage that team. Keep them safe. Thank you for the work that they're doing to bless orphans around the world. And thank you, God, that you're going to use them as missionaries. So bring them back with some great stories to tell about how you provided for them and used them. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 10, I know you're in 11, but chapter 10 kind of introduces us to uh, a number of uh, people groups and languages and that type of thing. So where did they come from? <laughs> what, ha what happened? Genesis 11 actually gives us the backstory. So uh, we're going to look at Genesis 11, starting in verse 1 today. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So this plain was probably uh, large and fruitful and beautiful. It's a good place to settle, a good place to raise a family. Verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So uh, at first glance, I mean, this seems like a pretty innocent deal. You know, the, 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 these people don't seem too wicked. Uh, they're, they're saying, hey, there's, there's a lot of us. Let's, you know, start some building projects. We need some houses and stuff like that. Uh, oh, and by the way, we need kind of a high point in the city, and maybe for military purposes, or maybe they just wanted to have a nice skyline, you know, kind of like Cleveland and Terminal Tower. They're saying, hey, we're going to work together. We're going to build a thriving green city on a blue lake, <laughs> Cleveland. So, so far, it doesn't sound so bad, but we realize there, there are three problems with their goals, and that's in verse 4. Then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with building cities, and there's nothing wrong with building skyscrapers. There's nothing wrong with trying to work together to build something that's going to outlast you. But there is something wrong with it if you do it for the wrong reasons. So let me show you the problems here. Problem number one, these architects in Genesis 11, they're not building for God's glory. Instead, they said, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. So when pride and personal ambition and power or greed becomes the motivation for trying to accomplish something, uh, for trying to achieve excellence in your vocation, then that becomes dangerous. There's a second problem. They're building a tower. What's that? It's probably an ancient ziggurat. Uh, that's kind of a wedding cake-shaped pyramid deal, right? And it's really not for military purposes, so you can look out and see the approaching enemy army. And it's really not because their landscape needed some kind of a identity, like um, you know, a terminal tower or an Empire State Building. No, at the top of these towers, these ziggurats, there was an altar that was used for pagan sacrifice. So this is not some kind of an innocent, naive, primitive effort to build a, a stairway to heaven. It's a place for false worship. That's problem number two. Problem number three is the people here don't want to scatter. They want to gather. Now, God's intention has always been for His people to scatter so the earth would be filled with people who are singing His praises and who are telling of His goodness all throughout creation. In Genesis 1, remember, God says, Be fruitful, be plentiful, multiply, increase, fill the earth, scatter throughout the world. And then in Genesis 9, after the flood, He says to His people again, Be fruitful, multiply, increase, scatter throughout all of the earth. So God's plan always has been that His people would fill the earth. But this city-building project is designed to prevent the population from being dispersed. Some people say from Genesis chapter 10 that there was this leader, his name was Nimrod, and Nimrod was the man, he wanted to stay the man, so let me gather all the people and keep them all together so I can be like, you know, top dog here. Now, so far, Genesis 11, 1 through 4, we've been focusing on the human perspective. Now the attention shifts to God's perspective. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I love it. It says the Lord came down to look. It's like he lives in such a high and lofty place uh, above everything in the universe that he goes, hey, there's that Milky Way galaxy and then there's that little solar system and then there's that sun and there's that third planet. I got to go down there and find out what's going on. Now, this is anthropomorphic language. In other words, we use human language to talk about what God does because he's so vast and he's so, he's so great. What he's doing here is not coming down to see like he doesn't know what's going on. What he's doing is he's coming down to judge. I mean, the builders are thinking, Hey, look at what we're building here. It's pretty impressive, huh? And God's thinking, come on, this is a joke. I mean, I'm the one who said, let there be light. There was light. I said, let there be land. There was land. This is a joke. And we ought to be reminded that we're tempted to boast and brag about the stuff we do, the things we build, the things we accomplish. 
And God goes, okay, okay, so you started a business. Okay, so you build a house. Okay, so you bought a car. You know, listen, you want to know how I made the universe? How I created mountains and oceans and time and life? I mean, here's the deal. God's resume is infinitely and eternally better than ours. Okay? Who is like the Lord? Who is seated on high, it says. Who looks far down onto the heavens and the earth. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I think what he's saying here is the potential for human achievement, even apart from God, is really great. Why is that? It's because we've all been created in the image of God. And even after the fall, even after we fell into sin, the image of God is still stamped on all of our souls. So the idea here is that fallen people can make things move forward in great ways in technology, in cities, in culture, because God made us in His image. Then, of course, we sinned. And what this means is that now we are, have the potential to do great evil. So God goes, hey, you know what? I made them great. They made themselves evil. So now they can do great evil. See, most of the time when we think about unity, we think that that's a really good thing. But when people come together in unity to try to do things for themselves and not for God, then the capacity to do injustice and their capacity to oppress is huge. I mean, think about it. Hitler unified the people of Germany in the 1930s and 40s, and 7 million people were murdered. So God is saying here, we just witnessed the depravity of mankind before the flood. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, and, and because their hearts are filled with evil, if I allow these great people created in my image to do great things, they're going to do great evil. And we're not going to go back there again. So what's he do? Verse 7. Come, let us go down. And this is not like God marshalling a troop of angels. This is probably a reference to God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Let us go down. And they're confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. I love this. I mean, let's, let's say you got 10 bricklayers and they're all uh, working together on a wall or a tower and they've been talking, they've been working together and then one day, bam, <laughs> all of a sudden they're talking different languages. I mean, you got one guy talking Portuguese, another Spanish, French, Japanese, uh, Indonesian, your boss comes around, the boss is now speaking Mandarin and you're thinking, how in the world are we going to get this done? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I get instructions on how to put a toy together or how to get a piece of furniture and put it together. I can't even understand if it's in English, you know? Well, these guys are getting their orders and they can't read them anymore. They can't understand each other. And so eventually what happens to these people is they just give up. You know, this is not working. We're not going to finish this. We can't work together. We can't read the orders. This is a total mess. And we're not making progress, so we just give up. And they just walk away. Verse 8, so... The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So some people go this way, and some people go the other way. They settle in different places until, by degrees, the whole earth is populated. And then the will of God is accomplished. Great evil is averted. 
Now, no doubt when this happens, the Babylonians are probably very frustrated. You know what? We had a really great plan. And we thought things were going pretty, pretty well. We're making progress. And then God came in and he messed up our plans. And you know what? Some of you may be feeling kind of that way right now, today. Maybe. I don't know. I got this plan. I'm going to marry this person. I got a plan. I'm going to work this job. I got a plan. I'm going to do this ministry. I'm going to build this business. And God keeps messing up my plans. Why does he do that? It's because he loves you. And it's because he knows what you're planning to do is a dumb idea. Okay? He's trying to save you from yourself. Sometimes when you're fighting hard to accomplish something, you might find yourself fighting against God. And God doesn't fight against you as your enemy. God fights against you as your friend. Sometimes God hurts you because he loves you and wants what's best for you. Remember what it says in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so here God is saving these people from great evil from themselves because he's really good God. He confuses their language so they can't work together to harm the people that he loves. Verse 9, therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So the name of the city, Babel, is uh, connected to a word which means to confuse or to mix. So these people who speak this language, they go over here to settle. And these people who speak that language, they go over there to settle. And they become different nations and different cultures. Now, let's step back and let's think about this story as a whole. We are still doing this. We are still building our little cities and our little towers. We want to build the best. We want to build the highest. We want to build the fastest. We want to be the, the you know, the, to accomplish the most. When we seek to, when we seek to achieve success apart from God through our own self-efforts, then we are building modern-day versions of the city and the tower of Babel. And if we do that, then we can count on the fact that God will stand in opposition to it. And again, it may, some time, it may take some time. But eventually, either in this life or in the life to come, it's all going to come tumbling down. Now, what I want us to do is to look a little bit more closely at verse 4. Because that's the pivotal verse in this whole deal. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that's top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I want you to see three times when God will oppose our plans. And I want you to be thinking about how this applies to you. This is about you. Genesis 11 is relevant to you today and what you're trying to, because everybody here is trying to accomplish something. Everybody here is trying to build something. And you got to ask yourself, why isn't it working? Could it not be working because God stands in opposition to it? God opposes our plans when our initiatives are not from the Lord. When our initiatives are not from the Lord. Then they said, not in response to God's direction, they said, let us build ourselves a city. It's their initiative. 
See, God doesn't bless our plans that we make apart from him. We don't need to be people that say, oh, God, bless my plans. We need to say, God, plan my blessings, right? What we do needs to be initiated by God. And this applies when it comes to building just about anything. If you want to build your family, why is your family falling apart? When it comes to building your business, why can't you get any traction with your business? When it comes to building your platform, your reputation for your nonprofit, your ministry, your church plant, your church, your mission, what is it that you're trying to build? And the question is, has God called you to do it? Is it initiated by God? Really? Really? Or is it just a good idea? Is it, is it a God idea? Or is it a good idea? See, there's, there's, there's two things. There's either obedience and disobedience. Just those two. There's no middle ground. See, a lot of us, that's where we want to live. I want to live in between disobedience and obedience. I mean, I don't want to just flagrantly say, God, I don't care what you want me to do. I'm not going to say that. But, you know, I'm not really going to try to find out for sure what God wants me to do and do that. So I'm trying to live in between those two. You can't live there. You're either obeying Him or you're not obeying Him. One or the other. There's no middle ground, folks. Where are you? Are you getting direction from God? God opposes our plans when our initiatives are not from the Lord. God opposes our plans when our building is not for the Lord. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops, with its top in the heavens. Now, again, this is that pyramidal structure with a place of sacrifice on the very top so that the worship is to a pagan god. And sometimes when we build things, we may not have an actual altar where we're sacrificing to a pagan god, but really it's not for the Lord. We have all kinds of ways to build. I want to build a name for myself. I want to build a platform through social media with my blog and Twitter and Facebook. We got these desires to, to be somebody, to accomplish something. I want to be a mom that my children will rise up someday and call me blessed. Or I'm going to you know, write a best-selling novel. Or I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to come up with this new, latest, greatest idea. Because we want to leave a mark. We want to make a difference. We don't want to waste our lives. And, and that can be good, but it better not be for ourselves. See, we're trying to get to the top of our profession. We even use this language, don't we? We climb the ladder of success. We reach the pinnacle. We make it to the summit. We build platforms. We shoot for the stars. See, we're still doing the, the babble thing. But God opposes our plans when our building is not for the Lord. And then God opposes our plans when the glory is not to the Lord. See, they say, we want to do this and make a name for ourselves. They want their name to be great. They want His name to be great. They want their name to be great. So this is a display of human independence apart from God. It's, it's their way to say kind of to God, I don't need you. I'm my own master. But you know what? We're most satisfied and we're most fulfilled when we actually live our lives to make 
Jesus famous, to make God famous, rather than to make ourselves famous. That's why the scriptures say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name bring, bring glory because of your loving kindness and your truth. So, God opposes our plans when our initiatives are not from the Lord, our building is not for the Lord, and the glory is not to the Lord. Therefore, therefore, this is really fast, so get your pens ready. <laughs> Everything we do must be God-directed, God-devoted, and God-dependent. Everything. Everything we do. Now, we're not going to get this perfectly, right? We're not going to do this exactly right. But it's got to be our heart's desire. It's got to be our aim. It's got to be our goal. See, we ought to encourage each other to try to accomplish great things for God, right? But we have to remember something. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So if we try to build something, if we try to build anything that's not God-directed, God-devoted, and God-dependent, we will find out one day that God will not only not assist us, but He will oppose us. There's a verse in two places in the Bible. James 4, 6, and also 1 Peter 5, 5. And it goes like this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I want to teach you a verse today. Actually two, because it occurs in two places, right? <laughs> it's very simple. Let's just say the first phrase first. God opposes the proud. Say it with me three times. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Some of you are cheating. You're looking at the screen. Please take it off the screen. There you go. Here we go one more time. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So say that three times. But gives grace to the humble. But gives grace to the humble. But gives grace to the humble. All right, let's put it all together. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right, you learned a Bible verse today. Welcome to Sunday school. Good job. If we try to build a nation, we just celebrate our nation's birthday, right? We try to build a nation, and we're not God-directed, God will oppose us. We try to build a career, you try to build a company, and you're not God-devoted, God's going to contest it. You try to build a church or a ministry or mission, and you're not God-dependent, God will resist it. You try to build a marriage, and you try to build a family, and it's not developed by God and for God and with God, God will discipline it. So the big question is, are we truly God-directed, God-dependent, and God-devoted? Think about that verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to teach you a little bit about how to meditate. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to meditate on the Word of God. How do you do that? Well, one way to do it is just take a little verse like that and just focus on each word. So let's do it. God opposes the proud. God! Who's this? Elohim? Creator? Yahweh? Lord? Adonai? El Shaddai? Jehovah Jireh? 
This is not someone who is limited in any way. Whatever he wants to do, he does. That's God. He's omnipotent. He's eternal. So, question, what do you want? Do you want the unlimited one's opposition or assistance? Because if if he wants to oppose it, it will be opposed. Don't trifle with God. This is God we're talking about here. Okay? It's not playing church. This is God. God opposes the proud. Opposes. It is possible for us to live our lives, raise our families, build our businesses, and lead our ministries in such a way that God will actually oppose us. It's not that he's neutral. God can and will and does engineer circumstances for people to kind of unravel. He knocks down things. He confuses what we're trying to build. And it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he does. He wants something better for us than to be just independent, isolated, self-sufficient people who are unblessed. God opposes the proud. The proud. Now this phrase doesn't describe um, necessarily actively disobedient people. I mean, it does describe those, of course, but, but that's probably not who we are, just actively, flagrantly disobeying God. I mean, maybe you're here and you're doing that. Be careful. But most of us, we're not just flagrantly disobedient. But I'll tell you what else, the pr- what else this phrase describes. The proud, it describes people that are sleepy Christians, passive followers of Christ, prayerless people, who are lukewarm and just going through the motions. If you're like that, you're proud. See, the proud people aren't the people that are saying, oh man, I got this, I don't need God. They don't say that, but their lives say that. I got this, I don't need God. Why do? Because you're not praying. You're not seeking God. You're not seeking his direction before you make a decision. You're not praying about the direction or the decision. You're not making sure God's going to get the glory. You're not going deeper with God all the time. You're not pressing in. The proud people are those people whose lives are not characterized by earnest, fervent, zealous, God-dependent prayer. That's that's a proud person. You may act humble. You may be soft-spoken. But if you're not praying, you're proud. You say, well, I don't know how to pray like that. That's why we say get into a life group. Okay? Hang around people that that can pray. And if you're a life group leader, you need to be teaching your people how to pray. Because what's at stake? Whether God opposes you or assists you in what you're trying to build. That's what's at stake. I mean, personally, I don't want to get to heaven someday... And hear God say, you know what, I wanted to do more for you and I wanted to bless you more and assist you more. But Rick, your, your worldliness and your complacency and your unwillingness to press into me, you, Rick, your pride gave me no other choice than to oppose what you were trying to do. I don't want to get to heaven to hear that. I don't want you to get to heaven and hear that. God is skilled in defeating the projects of proud men and women. 
and young adults and teenagers and boys and girls who, who just won't press into him. You know, I, I've got some blocks up here from our grandson. And so here we are, we're trying to build, right? We're going to build our little towers. And, and quite frankly, they're pretty fragile. And if we won't pray and seek God and His direction, and if we won't be dependent upon Him, then what we're trying to do is so fragile, this mighty hand of God actually comes and He dismantles what we're seeking to do, what we're seeking to build. And we're just left with something crumbling. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I see a sober warning here. God opposes the proud. But on the other side of this warning is a great promise. But gives grace to the humble. But <laughs> gives grace to the humble. But it's on the other hand. This little conjunction turns the warning around. It turns it on its head. There's a flip side. If God is opposing you, it doesn't have to stay that way. But gives grace to the humble. God, God's not stingy. He is a giver. He is generous. He is waiting to be gracious to us. He can't outgive God. He is a giver and He keeps on giving. He gives grace to the humble. Grace. You know what that is? This is unmerited favor. We don't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve a blessing from God. What I deserve from God is to go to hell. That's what I deserve from God because of my sin and my rebellion. But through Christ, we get grace. And grace, think about it, it's not just something that takes us to heaven, and that's awesome. It's not just something that forgives us of our sins, and that's awesome. But grace can assist us while we live our lives on this earth. When parents get help from God about what school should I send my kid to, that's grace. When a businessman gets help from God about whether or not to expand into another market, that's grace. When a ministry leader gets direction from God about some decision, that is grace. He gives grace to the humble. I mean, when I think about the word to, I kind of think about an arrow that's pointing somewhere. And the question is, do you want the arrow of grace pointing to you? Where's the grace going? To you or to everybody else? He gives grace to who? To the humble. The humble. The humble are people that say, you know what? God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I am failing as a husband. I, I, I'm messing things up with my kids. The business is just falling apart. I don't know. Lord, if you don't do something, nothing good is going to happen. I only want what you want. So direct me and guide me and lead me. I don't know what to do, but my eyes, they're on you. And I'm going to go to work and I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to pray like everything depends on you because it does. So help me, Lord. I've got the need, you've got the supply. I'm empty and you're full. See, this is the kind of way humble people pray. It's the way humble people live. So what I'm saying today is let's fight the spirit of Babel. And let us declare our dependence on 
The Lord, we're going to say, Lord, I need you. I need you more than the air I breathe. I need you more than the water I drink. I need you more than any human companion because I'm lost without you. And if I ignore you, Lord, every road I travel will be a dead end. So I am 100% dependent on you. And because of that, what I want in my life doesn't matter as much as what you want for me. So questions. Is what you're currently seeking to build, has it been truly initiated by God? And is what you're trying to do, is it really for the Lord or for yourself? And at the end of the day, when it's all done, will you give Him the glory? You know what? God has a goal in all of this. And you say, well, what's the goal? The goal is to glorify Christ. You see, when the people were building the city and he came down and scattered everybody, it wasn't like God's going, oh man, they've messed up. Now what do I do? I've got to come up with another plan. No, it was all part of his plan. Why would dispersing the people to different cultures and different languages end up accomplishing God's purpose is because he wants to magnify his son, Jesus. See, someday, this scattering God is going to be a gathering God. And someday, we're going to be standing around the throne. Revelation 7 says, with people from every language, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and we're going to be focused on one person, on Jesus Christ. And we're going to be giving him glory. And and the fact that people from all around the world, all languages, all cultures, from all centuries, from all epochs of time, will be glorifying Christ, actually magnifies His glory in a way that no other thing could. I mean, you think about somebody, like they produce a work of art, they think it's awesome, and they hang it up in their living room, and everybody that comes in goes, yikes. That's scary. That's really not very good. But everybody in that family thinks it rocks. But everybody else thinks, like, whoa, okay, whatever. (laughs) It's like some of those people that come on American Idol and sing, and they can't sing. But if somebody produces a work of art, and then people from this century and that century, and people from South Africa and Norway and South Korea all think it's awesome, it's awesome. You get the idea? So God has figured out a way to have people from all epochs of time, from all around the world, all different languages, he's going to bring them all together, and we're all together going to say, Jesus is awesome. This is what God was doing in Genesis 11. He's giving us a warning about self-dependence, And he's also accomplishing another more glorious thing that we will see brought together someday when we're all worshiping Christ. Today's takeaway. God opposes the proud. But what? Gives grace to the humble. What's your response today? Some of you, you need to make sure that you're building your life by God's grace and for God's glory. And you need to put your faith and trust in Christ alone.
Because you know what? You want to be there someday pointing to Jesus and saying he's awesome. And for some of you, if you've never given your heart to life, life to Christ, if you're still trying to build your life your way, then you won't be there that day. And we want you to be there. So there's a prayer that you can pray in the program. Dear God, I acknowledge you as the Lord of all. It's on the screen. Like the builders at Babel, I've tried to build something for selfish purposes. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve your forgiveness. Yet in spite of my sin, you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so I could be forgiven. I believe he rose from the dead. So save me and change me. And with the rest of my life, help me build something by you and for you. Some of you need to pray that prayer today. And if you do, check the box. Let us know. We'd love to help you grow as a baby in Christ so that you can be fully mature someday. Others of you, there are other things in the program that you can check. Father, let me, let, let me pray. Father, we don't want to waste our lives. We want to do something and we want to be someone, but we want it all to be about you and not us. So, Father, I pray for people here today in this room who have that sense that you are actually opposing what they're trying to do. God, instead of opposing, would you build? Would you build? And help it to be about your glory. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, here comes God taking your building blocks. And he begins to build what you could never build on your own. And, and God can add to it in miraculous ways so that it becomes bigger and stronger and more powerful than you ever dreamed. Isn't that what you want? Pray, trust, yield, depend, press in, seek Him, always, only, forever. One of the families that we're really proud about here is the Wagners. They're going to hate me saying that, but Tom and Sue started a ministry called Care on the Square. It's awesome. For years, been going down to feed needy people, poor people, hungry people, homeless people. And God has allowed them to expand their ministry. They worked a new relationship with the Cleveland Food Bank and also with a church that we've helped to start, Forward Church in Slavic Village. Forward Church was started by a guy named Jeff Bodziani. He used to sell drugs down in Slavic Village. Got arrested, thrown into jail, met Christ there. And then all of a sudden, I saw him sitting over here in a service one time. <laughs> Next thing I know, he's being baptized here. Then he goes through some church planting training classes here. And now he's back planting a church in Slavic Village where he used to sell drugs. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, the Wagners have partnered not only with the Cleveland Food Bank, but also with Forward Church, and last month had their first, um, I'm going to call it a veggie giveaway, I guess, <laughs> giving away produce. 
161 households totaling 547 people were served there at Forward Church by Carol the Square. They gave away 11,816 pounds of fresh produce. Onions, potatoes, sweet potatoes, watermelon, cucumbers, all that jazz. Eight people from that giveaway came back to Forward Church the very next day because of that veggie ministry. One woman named Kathy came as a direct result of the giveaway and she moved toward Christ and openly acknowledged a heroin addiction during the service. So, <laughs> that's all. We need to pray for Kathy. Listen, when you give money here, like we're getting ready to take an offering, right? When you put money in the basket here, those kinds of things happen. This is a great investment. Uh, you know, some of you write big checks to organizations overseas and other parts of our nation and that kind of thing. Great, please do that. But don't shortchange this church <laughs> because there are great things that are happening because of your generosity. So, Lord, as we give today, multiply the ministry. Bless Tom, Sue, and Jeff, and many others that are serving here because of what you're doing. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.